When I was in music college, I had a performance-based class where we could take it in turns to play some music for one another and then receive criticism on this. Well, uh, the professor instructed us specifically to pick a song with words that were very meaningful to us. A song that came to, uh, came to mind for me was the old hymn, the Rootsy classic, There Is a Fountain. Well, after getting up on stage in front of my peers, I simply explained that the song is about the best second chance that any of us could hope to get. It's Jesus. I fully expected after uh, performing my song to lose all street cred with the class. And after I finished, I expected to also get a good grilling in the process. But to my surprise, my fellow students gave me a huge cheer and I made several new friends that day. And that moment, I felt like I was accepted for who I am and that I did belong. Well, Mark was taking a pretty big risk. In case you missed it on the video there, uh, he found, Mark is the worship leader on our Foxborough campus, and he found himself in front of his music performance class at Berkeley uh, Music School, right here in the heart of Boston, singing a gospel song about the blood of Jesus washing away our sins. <laughs> Not the kind of song his uh, free-thinking New England classmates were used to hearing. To his surprise, it went well. They burst into applause, and he said students lined up to talk to him afterwards. And he found belonging in a place he never expected. For nine weeks now, we've been talking about how wonderful it is to belong, to feel as though you have someone to sit with at lunch, a place at the table, people who will welcome you and stay by you no matter what. And we've also been learning each week as we've gone along that the church is to be one of those places of belonging, in fact, a place of true belonging. Because true belonging, we learn, begins and ends with Jesus. And so if you are seeking Jesus, or you're following Jesus, if you're skeptical about Jesus, if you're struggling with Jesus, you are welcome here. And we, we hope, I hope, you're beginning to believe that if you haven't experienced already, that there's a place for you to belong here. It's what we want for the children that we dedicated here and on some others of our campuses here today. We want these children to know from the very earliest days of their lives that, that they have a spiritual family, that they have a church home in this crazy world. And we want them to grow into that as they grow up. As wonderful as all of that is, as we come towards the end of the series, which we're going to finish next week, actually, we want to remind ourselves that this gift of belonging that we enjoy isn't just for us. It's to share with the wider world around us. True belonging isn't just God's gift to the church. It's the church's gift to the world. Now that's worth saying again, and maybe even tweeting to your friends. True belonging isn't just God's gift to the church. It's the church's gift to the world. As it turns out, it's a gift that the world seems to be in desperate need of right about now. You may recognize the name of Ben Sass. He is a U.S. senator from the fine state of Nebraska. Now, this next thing has nothing to do with anything, but it's just interesting. Do you, did you hear that the state of Nebraska, this is true, recently came out with a new state slogan promoted by their tourism department? This is true. The slogan is Nebraska. It's not for everyone. Now, speaking as a very snobby Northeasterner, 
they're probably not going to get a lot of argument about that. But I'm sure there are wonderful things there in Nebraska. But in any event, nothing to do with anything. You can take that down now. Uh, uh, Saz has just written a new book entitled Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. He's talking about the problems in America today. In the opening chapter, he claims that America has an epidemic of loneliness. In spite of our collaborative work environments and our open office concepts, in spite of our Facebook friends, in spite of our 24-7 connectedness, Americans are more, more isolated, more lonely than ever. One out of five Americans say that loneliness is a major source of unhappiness in their lives. When you go over 45, one out of three Americans describe themselves as chronically lonely. In the past three decades, Americans have gone from having more than three close friends to less than two close friends. And many experts are now saying that the opioid crisis in our company, country, especially among young adults, is, is really a crisis of loneliness. Because it turns out that these opioid drugs actually mimic or replicate the, the emotional and the physiological response people get to belonging, to being loved, and to being happy. And so as we finish up this series... We want to ask ourselves if we are freely and intentionally sharing this belonging with the rest of the world. Are we reaching out to people in Jesus' name? Are we inviting them in to get a glimpse of what true belonging and true community can actually feel like? Now, I know that's not always easy to do. It is risky to stick your neck out there to speak out loud about your faith or to mention the name of Jesus. It can be risky even to take a personal interest in somebody. You never know how they're going to take it. And you may suddenly find yourself the one who doesn't belong at school or work or in the neighborhood. So where do we find the courage? Where will we find the courage to extend true belonging to the world around us? Where did Mark find the courage to sing a gospel song to his New England classmates? Well, to answer that question, let's return once again to this New Testament book of Romans. It's a book we've been studying all fall here. And spend a little time getting a glimpse into the heart of one of the most courageous Christ followers the world has ever known. A man known to us as the Apostle Paul. So we're going to jump into Romans chapter 15 today, verses 14 through 21. Paul writes, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Well, they say that flattery will get you everywhere. So that's what Paul does as he comes toward the end of this letter here. He intentionally, but also very sincerely, affirms the church there in the city of Rome. 
I am convinced, he says, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Now, Paul hasn't actually been to Rome yet, but based on some of the people he knows there and the reports he's heard, he has great admiration for this church, and he looks forward to visiting them soon. That's one of the reasons for the letter. They appear to be people of good character, knowledgeable in the faith and the scriptures, and capable of running a great church. But he wants to remind them of something, something that churches easily forget, even good churches. He wants to remind them that they exist for the sake of those who don't belong yet. Yet I have written you quite boldly, he says on some points, to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Now when Paul talks about the Gentiles, he's talking about people who in that day were considered to be far from God, outside the Jewish tradition. So he might have been talking about uh, people who believed in the many, many gods of Greece and Rome, and there were many of them. He might have been talking about people who believed in human wisdom and philosophy, which the Greeks were famous for. And he might have been talking about people who believed in no gods at all. In other words, he's talking about people who were not likely to find their way into a community of people following a crucified Jewish Messiah named Jesus. Now, in our day, in our context, he would be talking about people that we sometimes describe as unchurched or de-churched. People who are not part of any religious community or people who were part of a community once but have walked away. I happened to catch a, an op-ed in the Boston Globe just a couple of days ago this past week written by one of their leading syndicated columnists. And in this column, she, she says that she hasn't quite given up on God yet, but for a variety of reasons, she's pretty much done with her church. And that's becoming a fairly common story these days. We hear a lot about the so-called nuns, not the kind that wear a habit, the N-O-N-E nuns, people who, when they're asked what religion they belong to, say none. So, all this to say that there is an increasing number of people in our world who are far from church and maybe far from God. And if the statistics are even half right, many of them are lonely. And so Paul's reminding his readers and he's reminding us that the church exists for people who don't yet belong to it or who maybe belonged once but have walked away. And as it turns out, churches need to be reminded of that on a regular basis because churches have this unfortunate tendency to drift inward. Churches always drift inward. They become so preoccupied with their own needs and interests and agenda that they forget their mission that they lose sight of the people they're called to serve and to reach. Maybe you happen to catch the rather startling announcement by Jeff Bezos this past week. He is the founder and CEO of the world's largest company. And this week, he said out loud in a meeting that Amazon one day will fail. 
Well, that startled everybody. He went on to explain that a successful organization has a life cycle of about 30 years before they begin to run down. And he warned, if we start focusing on ourselves instead of our customers, that will be the beginning of the end. Well, it turns out a similar thing is true of churches, only it's scarier. Because the average life cycle of a church is about 10 to 12 years, according to one expert. Now, he's not saying that a church will die in 10 to 12 years, but he's saying in about 10 to 12 years, most churches lose sight of their mission. They become so preoccupied with their own needs and programs that they completely forget why they started in the first place, to reach people who are far from God. And, and I've been at this long enough to have seen that happen to a lot of churches, even good churches. And so on a regular basis around here at Grace, we remind ourselves that our mission is to, is to discover life with God for the good of the world. Yeah, we want to experience fully what life with God looks like. We want to grow in our faith and get closer to one another. But we also want to remember that we want to reach wider into the world. Global Awareness Week reminded us of that, of our worldwide vision a couple of weeks ago. And today we're thinking about our vision for the people of our own communities and our own city. And so, along with the Apostle Paul, as we come towards the end of this letter, I want to remind us that we as a church exist for the sake of people who aren't here yet who are still looking to belong. True belonging isn't just God's gift to the church. It's the church's gift to the world. And the Apostle Paul never forgot that. I think Jeff Bezos would have loved the Apostle Paul because he never lost sight of the customer, of his mission, of the people he was trying to reach. Listen to what he says down in verses 18 and 19. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Can you hear his heart for the Gentile people? He mentions them by name nine times in a span of about ten verses. Let me show you a map of the region he's describing here, from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Jerusalem, of course, is all the way over to the east there, the very heart of Judaism. Illyricum is all the way to the west, near what we would today call Yugoslavia. It was a journey of about 1,400 miles by foot or by ship, and Paul traveled it again and again. There were pockets of Jewish communities in many of those regions, but all of it was Gentile territory. Hostile to the faith, indifferent to the faith. And Paul met all kinds of hostility and hardship as he traveled through these regions. And yet these were the people and the places he wanted to be with. The amazing thing about this is that Paul was about the last person in the world you would expect to feel at home with a bunch of Gentiles. I mean, Paul was about as Jewish as a person could get. In another one of his letters, he describes himself this way. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, 
of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Pharisees, that was the most devout kind of Jew there was in Jesus' day. And Paul was one of those. And yet, he devoted himself, his love and his life, to living among the Gentiles. It was about as unlikely as a lifelong Yankee fan coming to minister in the heart of Red Sox Nation. <laughs> Who's going to think that's ever going to work? <laughs> what motivated Paul? Where did he find the courage? How did he manage to belong in such unlikely places? Well, two words. Explain why. Two words that Paul uses again and again throughout this letter. Grace and gospel. The first word is grace. Verse 15. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. That word grace means undeserved favor. It means surprising kindness unexpected welcome. Re remember who Paul was back when he was Saul. He was a persecutor of the church. He held the coats of the guys who stoned Stephen to death. Stood there and watched and approved of the whole thing. He went from city to city throwing not just men but women into jail because of their faith in Jesus. And yet he has been shown grace. Christ has not only forgiven him, Christ has commissioned him to go and bring his message to the world. Grace is the second chance that Mark was speaking about and singing about to his Berkeley class. I talked with him and I asked with him how he happened to choose that particular song because he chose it on the moment. He said when he looked out at his classmates, who he knew pretty well at that point, as he thought about the kind of experiences they've had and the lives they'd been living and the songs they'd been singing, it came to him that some of them, many of them, needed a second chance, and maybe a third, and maybe a fourth. And so he sang a song about grace, about forgiveness, and that's what it is. So God had shown such grace to Paul, such such unexpected welcome, such undeserved favor. How could he do anything less than show favor and kindness and welcome to people who are as far from God as he once was? So grace. The second word that explains Paul's heart is the word gospel. From Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now the gospel is simply the good news of God's love for all people. The God who loves, who made us in his image so that we could enjoy life with him now and forever. The God who loves us so much that he saw us in the mess we'd made of things and sent his son Jesus to live with us, to show us what life could look like, to die on the cross for our sins and failures, to conquer death so that we could be forgiven and free, to enjoy life with him now and forever. That's not just good news. That's the best news the world's ever heard. 
And Paul never, ever got tired of sharing it, especially with people who'd never heard it before or never received it before. See, Paul knew who he was. He knew what his life was all about. He described himself as an object of grace. He had received grace, and now he was called to minister grace. He knew he belonged to God. And because he knew he belonged to God, oh, he could belong anywhere. He could belong with anyone. Remember, belonging isn't just about having people and a place in the world. It's also about having a purpose in the world. Belonging is about being part of something bigger than yourself. And it turns out, when you know you belong to someone and you belong to something, man, that fills you with courage. I'd like to take us back at this point to the woman who actually came up with this idea of true belonging. We introduced her back at the beginning of the series. Her name is Brene Brown. She's a social scientist and uh, observer. She is also a best-selling author and uh, popular TED talker. And her recent book, Braving the Wilderness, was a catalyst for this series. And since she came up with this expression, true belonging, let's look at her definition of true belonging. She writes, true belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. That's pretty good. And you hear what she's saying? She's saying that when you belong to someone, when you belong to something, it gives you such a sense of security and significance that you can go out into the world and actually do something and be somebody. Belonging centers you in a people and a place and a purpose, and that's very empowering. Well, when you belong to a good family, well, you can go off to pursue your dreams of college or career or education or service to your country because you know you have people back home who will take you in no matter what. If you belong to a great team, you can... You can go out onto the field with reckless abandon because you know your teammates are doing the same thing and that they've got your back. When you belong to a great company or organization, you can do your very best because you believe in the product or the service that you're offering. That's how it works. When you know you belong somewhere, you can take a risk anywhere. You can be brave. You can be bold. You can even sing a gospel song in front of a bunch of Berkeley students. There's only one problem I have with Brene's definition, and I'm pretty sure you can guess what it is. My problem is that believing in and belonging to myself just isn't going to cut it. It's just not enough, because I know myself. I know how fragile my ego is. I know how vulnerable I am to criticism or rejection or pressure. More, more to the point, I know how flawed I am and how often I will disappoint myself and others. So if, if true belonging is about belonging to yourself, 
That's a pretty lonely club. Me, myself, and I. And if it's about belonging to other people, well, they're going to let me down at some point as well. But if it's about belonging to Jesus, to the most beautiful human being who ever lived, to the one who loved me so much that he laid down his life for me, to the one who promises to be with me and for me no matter what, well, now you're saying something. That'll give you courage. And as we've been learning in this series, when you belong to Christ, you also belong to his people, the body of Christ. You're part of a worldwide community of men and women, of every language and culture and nation, and every walk of life. Men and women who've, who've found who they are in Christ, they're sons and daughters of God, who have become brothers and sisters to one another, no matter how near or far or different they might be from one another. And when you belong to someone like Christ, when you belong to something like the church, well, man, you can go out there and do just about anything. You can even share your authentic self with the world and stand alone when you have to. So let's put it this way. When you belong to Christ and his people, you can belong anywhere with anyone. When you belong to Christ and his people, you can belong anywhere with anyone. A Jew like Paul could belong among the Gentiles. A Christ follower like Mark could belong among his fellow Berkeley students. And Christ followers like you and me can belong in all the unlikely, uncomfortable, and maybe irreligious places we find ourselves as we head out the door every day to school, work, neighborhood, and wherever life takes us. So let me take you to Paul's final words here, and then we'll wrap things up. He says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Paul was so confident of who he was in Christ and what his life was about in Christ that he was willing to go anywhere with anyone to share the good news of Christ with, him, with them. In fact, the farther away people were from God, the more he wanted to go there. And the more Christians there began to be in a particular city, the quicker he wanted to get out of there. Because he wanted to go new places with new people. Like, you know what Paul's dream was? His dream, he tells us later in this letter, was to go to Spain and preach the gospel. Spain. Spain's not even fitting on that map we showed you a few minutes ago. It was the farthest reach of the Roman Empire, all the way to the west, a place no one had gone to with the good news of Christ before. And Paul wanted to go there. In fact, he, helped, he hoped the Roman church would help him get there. That's partly why he wrote the letter. Now, we don't know if Paul actually made it to Spain. There's a tradition that says that he did, but there's no real evidence to tell us that he did. The point is, he wanted to go. He wanted to go to the very farthest place so he could be the very first one to tell people that God, there was a God who loved them and had shown himself in Jesus Christ. I love that spirit. And I know many of you do too. And I know it's one of the things that many of us love about living here in New England. That and the snow before Thanksgiving. It's we love being here in this so-called least religious part of the country. 
because we get to share the good news of Christ with people all the time. Uh, this past week, a handful of us from staff went down to Atlanta to visit with a really great church down there and kind of get some best practices. We're actually at North Point Church in Atlanta, uh, where Andy Stanley is the pastor, a familiar name to, to many of you. And it became pretty apparent to us the moment we landed in Atlanta that we were in a very different place. Okay, we, we got there early in the morning because we'd had an early flight, so leaving the airport, we stopped for breakfast on the way. So Pastor Cheryl and I are walking towards the hostess table, and I'm getting ready to tell the hostess, you know, table for how many? Pastor Cheryl beats me to it. And she channels her Texas charm and drawl and says, so how's your day going today, ma'am? And the hostess, oh, my day's going just fine. How's your day going, huh? <laughs> And they have a whole conversation there before we ever get to our table. <laughs> and then on the way out afterwards, we, we pass a, an older couple sitting playing checkers on the porch. You know how people do that in Boston, they play checkers on the porch? <laughs> and Richard stops and says, so who's winning? And they have a whole conversation while I'm looking at my watch saying, we gotta get where we're going. <laughs> so it's a different place, but the difference I'm talking about isn't just the pace of life. It's the spiritual climate. Atlanta isn't exactly, isn't the buckle of the Bible belt, but it's pretty close. After Houston, it has the most megachurches of any city in the nation. North Point, where we were, 27,000 people every Sunday across five campuses. And there are dozens more churches like that. Now, I know there are plenty of far-from-God people in Atlanta, and North Point Church is all about reaching them, and they're doing a great job, and I am glad for that. But as we were leaving, we all agreed, even Richard and Cheryl, that we're glad to be in New England, that we're glad to be sharing the good news of Christ in what may be one of the least religious places of the country where many people have either never really understood the good news of Christ or they thought they heard it and they've walked away from it. And we get, to sh we get to give them a second chance, a chance to look again. And so as we come toward the end of the series, I simply want to remind us of our mission to discover life with God for the good of the world, to bring the good news of Christ to the people of greater Boston and beyond that as well. And that is my great joy, and I trust it is yours as well. Dare we say, let it be our ambition to share that message with as many people as possible. As eager as we are for everyone here to find a place of belonging at Grace, we are just as eager for everyone here to find their go at Grace. Their ambition, their calling, the people, the place that God's calling you to, to go share good news with. I know that isn't always easy to do. It can be risky and uncomfortable. But based on what we've learned today, when you know you belong to Christ and his people, you can belong anywhere. You can belong with anyone. Well, I began this series with a story back in September that I told, I would, told you I would give you the end of at the end. So we're almost at the end. So here's the end of the story. I began with a story of my, my son, Brendan, and his first days at Bedford High School after moving here from New York as a, as a freshman. 
And because he was the new kid in town, and because he insisted on wearing his Yankee hat, he was pretty lonely those early days at Bedford High School. He ate a lot of lunches by himself, even in the bathroom. He didn't belong, and it felt terrible. But he began to find a place to belong here at church, at Grace Chapel. He made friends here. Youth leaders invested in him. People met him in the hallway and said, we're praying for you. And he began to grow in his faith right here at Grace. And as he did that, he began to feel more comfortable even at Bedford High School. Played soccer and baseball. Got involved with the Best Buddies program. Went to parties, some of them. Left a few early, but was involved in high school. And along with just a few other kids in that high school, they had a remarkable impact on that school for Christ. Once a year, they would rally around the flagpole. Remember that little campaign? The two or three or four of them at Bedford High School would meet early at the flagpole to pray for their school as the buses rolled past watching them. It took courage to be out there praying for your school. Well, to make a long story short, by the time Brendan reached his senior year, he won the Bedford Superfan Award and was elected by his classmates homecoming king. He belonged. Now, I tell that story not so much to brag on my son, but a little bit, because I'm proud of him, but mainly to brag on this church. It was because of this church that he found faith and strength and the courage to go to that school every day and to be his authentic self with his classmates and sometimes to stand alone. And his two younger brothers, Mark and Daniel, had a very similar experience because they were grounded here, because they belonged here, they were able to belong there as well and make a mark on many, many kids and on their school. And that's what true belonging will do for you. And that's what we want for every person at Grace. We want you to feel so centered and grounded here that you can go out there and do anything with anyone. And it's what we want for the children we dedicated here today. We want them to grow up knowing that they belong to Christ and his people. Now, parents, part of that responsibility, most of it is on you to bring them up in the faith and to get them here consistently week after week so they can build those friendships all the way through high school. And church, some of that is on us, that we will love and pray for and serve children and young people and their families so they can find this sense of belonging so that they can go out to their neighborhoods and their schools and someday their careers and stand alone and have an impact for Christ. Because we know that when we belong to Christ and his people, we can belong anywhere with anyone. So friends, on this Thanksgiving weekend, let us give thanks for this community of faith that God has raised up here in New England and for the sense of belonging that so many of us have found or are finding here. Let's give thanks for that. But let us not keep it to ourselves. We're coming up on the best time of the year for you to invite people to come and get a glimpse of Christian community.
As we head into the Christmas season in just a week or two, we're designing all of our services and events to make it as easy as possible for you to bring someone with you, a friend, a family, a neighbor, a coworker. I hope you're beginning right now to think and pray of people you know who might be looking for a place to belong, who might be a little bit lonely, or maybe a lot a bit lonely, people who maybe need a second, third, or a fourth chance in life, or people who need to give church and faith another try. Friends, let's be brave. Let's be bold. Let's reach out and invite someone into the circle to experience true belonging. Let's pray. Lord, together we are grateful, so many of us, for what we have found here at Grace or maybe in our home church if some are visiting from other places. Thank you for this wonderful thing called the church, even with its flaws and its failures. And we know churches are not always the places they're supposed to be, and this church as well. So we confess that. But our desire, Lord, is that we would more fully be a community of true belonging. So teach us what that looks like by your Holy Spirit. Help us to live into the things we've been learning this fall. But Lord, give us courage as well and love to share it freely with the people around us. Open our eyes to the people we might invite and pray for over these next weeks. Thank you for the many, many folks who will be visiting with us in the weeks to come who may for the first time be getting a chance to hear or experience or feel what it's like to belong to a place and to a people and what it might be like to belong to you. We pray that for everyone we know. In Jesus' name, amen.